Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. And Hello. of course, today we have producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hi. I think we just need to start weaving you into that opening <laughs> line because every week I'm like, when do I come in? When does Annabelle come in? Welcome, Annabelle. Thank you so much. I'm not mad about my inclusion. Thank you for including me. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, why Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian's cosmetics brands as we know them are disappearing almost overnight. Plus, Love Island is back, but is it doing enough to protect its contestants' mental health? And then the bizarre story of Princess Charlene, Monaco's runaway bride. But first, Michelle, how was your break? Good to be back. So good to be back. My break was wonderful. I've been back at work for a week now and I have a bit of a head cold. I think my body was like, oh, wait, we're like back into the swing of things. But no, it was lovely. I kind of took a tour all around Victoria, did a couple of days down the Mornington Peninsula, went to Dalesford, even went to Kinnabula, which if you know where that is, congratulations. I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's a town of like 17 people. The worst moment of my holiday was when I... glad we're starting with positives. (laughs) ...was when I sat across... Kinnabula sat across from a farmer who has come from like four generations of farming families. He's in his 80s. He's about to retire. And he at the dinner table goes to me, so what do you do for work? And my brother had just finished being like, I'm a high school teacher, like very legit conventional job. And I had to sit there and try and explain that I basically talk about the Kardashians and dumb celebrity stuff, kind of like a radio show. And I don't think I've ever seen someone's eyes glaze over so much as if to be like, (laughs) young people these days. But no shame in the dumb stuff. Is that not the entire (laughs) brand? No shame in the dumb stuff game. We are shameless about it. But yes, no, it was wonderful. I consumed a lot of Britney content. Did you guys get into the whole Britney mania? No, absolutely. I think it was impossible to ignore. There was a lot of good stuff around. I think the sense that I'm getting 
with the Britney content around is that people have been prepping this for months and had to rush yes. publish a lot of it, right? Yeah, of course, because we did have Britney finally testify at the court proceedings for her conservatorship. This has been going on for years. We know that particularly since like 2017, the Free Britney movement has really garnered some momentum. It has kind of reached an apex, I would say, where people really do want to talk and think about this. I want to recommend two pieces of content that I loved that looked at the Britney Spears controversy. The first is Pieces of Britney. This is a podcast series by Pandora Sykes and the BBC. Have either of you listened? Yeah, I've listened to like the first two or three episodes. Yeah, it's really epic. What I love about this is it's eight episodes. It includes, of course, really great analysis, really great, I guess, historical storytelling weaved in with drama. So they actually have a playwright sit down, write how she would imagine the interactions between Britney and the people in her life played out and then a whole team of actors actually give voice to those scripts. Which is interesting because if I hadn't listened to the podcast and you had explained it like that, I'd be like, no way. I was about to say, is it like, is it effective, the acting? Yes. I I find it one of the only podcasts I've listened to where the fictionalisation of events doesn't annoy me. Yeah, I think it actually enriches the story. It does grate on me every now and then, but holistically I think the podcast is an incredible piece of audio journalism. I think everyone should listen to it. Even if you're overwhelmed by the volume of Britney content, this will cut through and this will synthesise it in a way that I don't think many other things actually manage to do. My other piece of content I want to recommend is a piece in The New Yorker by Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino called Britney Spears' Conservatorship nightmare incredible incredible journalism again yeah I mean it was always going to be with my favorite one-two punch Ronan Farrow (laughs) my long lost love and Gia Tolentino one of my favorite people on the planet when I saw the byline I was like don't know how I centered myself in the narrative but I was like this is for me (laughs) so fucked anyway this was a really incredible piece too I mean both were published so soon after as I said Brittany made those quotes you can only imagine the behind the scenes of both the BBC podcast and the New Yorker of being like oh my God, we need to get these stories out now. Yeah, absolutely. I also think a lot of people have come to us and said, can you guys do a scandal series on Britney and on this debacle? I actually don't think we will. I think there is so much out there about this. People have spent months and months researching and bringing these things to life. I don't think we need a scandal series. I really recommend if you're craving the content, go to what's already out there because there is so much good stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. We can't do this better. Like we cannot do this better and I'm not going to do it for the sake of doing it. So I think, as you said, there is so much out there. Go read the New Yorker piece. Listen to Pieces of Britney if you need more of a Britney fix. Yeah. What about you? How was your break? Good break. I ended up getting on holiday, which was a bit lucky. Definitely lucky. for you. I think you've had more holidays be cancelled than any other person I know. Yeah. (laughs) There's been a run of bad luck. (laughs) But it was really nice to get away. And as as we know, the borders have been a bit fickle. So I had a sort of a last minute dash to far north Queensland, which was really, really lucky. And I know that so many people in the last sort of month or two have had cancelled holidays, cancelled everything, particularly anyone in Sydney right now. I mean, we are thinking of you. I can only imagine what you guys must be going through given what we all did last year. Yeah. And I know words don't really help, do they? Yeah. We love you. We do love you. I think it's tricky. We went through it ourselves last year and it is horrible. And I really don't think you appreciate that for what it is until you live it yourselves. So our hearts go out to 
everyone in lockdown in Sydney at the moment. Our fingers are crossed for you. And hopefully, if anything, this podcast can provide some light relief. Yeah, exactly. So with all of that in mind, I did have a lovely break. It was nice to have a break from work. It was nice to just have a break from everything, to be honest. And it felt like a really long year and a half where we haven't really been able to switch off properly, Mm. I think. So I feel very refreshed. It's lovely. It's a nice feeling, feeling excited to come back to work. Yeah. It feels like such a privilege. So I read a lot of books, which was amazing because I find that's when I am most calm and that's where I do almost mindfulness, I guess. The two books that I want to recommend the absolute most after my break are Fault Lines by Emily Atami. I actually hadn't seen this book many places. I was about to say, I haven't even heard of this book. Yeah, so interesting. So I was halfway through reading Nick Hornby's (laughs) High Fidelity. Oh, yes. Was it good? No. Well, no, I don't think (laughs) so. Because for those who don't listen to our book club or read along with us, we did a Nick Hornby book at the start of this year and it just so happened to be our lowest ranking book of the last 12 months. And I wanted to give Nick Hornby a chance. So I was like, I will buy his most successful book and start to read it. Yeah. So High Fidelity, I'm guessing it's about relationships. Yeah, relationships. But I got about a third of the way through was like, I'm bored. I refuse to do this to myself on a holiday. So I went to the local bookstore in Port Douglas and I saw this book sitting on the shelf and I was like, this looks amazing. And it was so good. It tells the story of a Japanese housewife who is very much stuck in a rut and she engages in this affair. Oh my God, I love a story like that. Me too, but I thought it was going to be far more plot driven than it actually was. It was just the way that the book was written. It was written from the perspective of the housewife. It was funny and it was so well done and to be totally honest with you if you're expecting like a wild plot or a lot of sex you're not actually going to get it but the characterization of each character was amazing I just really loved this book and I haven't seen it anywhere so I wanted to recommend it wonderful recommendation thank you the other book that I read that I think is one of the best books I've read in a really long time is Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason I had seen it around a little bit and most people who have read it do love it but I still think it's one of those books that's like popular but still a bit underrated given how good I think it is. You think you've gotten on the bandwagon just before it gets like no, mainstream. No, no, no. no, no, no Zara's no. sitting it's, here being like I'm right ahead of the no, curve. Trust me I couldn't be less ahead of the curve. Like the, the film rights have already been sold like this, this book is big already but I think this should be everywhere right like I adored this book and then I also hate saying that on mic because then I know I'll hype it up to people and people will be like this was nowhere near as good as you said wasn't there also speculation that Olivia Wilde was papped reading this book on a yacht this week yeah so if you saw the pap photos of Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde on a yacht Olivia Wilde's reading this book as Harry Styles is kissing her and everyone's trying to guess what the book was and apparently it was Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason Zara you're like the Australian Olivia Wilde <laughs> this is becoming a personal branding thing for you because you sat in the office you're like Guys, I think Olivia Wilde's reading that book that I read. I'm like, we get it. You love Sorrow and Bliss. I do love the book. It is also far more character driven. It is about a woman with an unnamed mental illness. But the characters in this book are incredible. The way that it's written is incredible. It reminds me a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. You didn't like that book. I when know, I but it, to it you. was so much better. <laughs> book so I'm gonna love this yeah anyway those are my two book recommendations please get on them and don't tell me if you hate them thank you so much before we move on Annabelle good break great break but I'm so happy to be back I missed you guys when we all walked into the office on the first day I was like guys the fans back together we are so back together and it's nice to be back a band that can't sing (laughs) and we do not try (laughs) anyway should we get into the first segment of the show I am super intrigued by this one
one, Mish. It is why Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian West's brands are all but disappearing overnight. Yeah. So this is one of those stories where I feel like there are a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. So the first time we really heard about this, Zara, was on July 1, so what, two weeks ago, where Coty, which is the majority share owner in Kylie Cosmetics, announced that Kylie's brand would be going dark and that they would be relaunching with entirely new formulations for all of their products. Now, This is a big thing. Like when a brand says we're relaunching and we have a new website, that's a very different thing. That's just like here are some new colours and some new fonts and we have a new zany look. This wasn't that. This was we're disappearing and we'll be back soon. And also we're not selling any of the products we used to sell when we come back, which is interesting. A statement from Kylie at the time read, I'm so proud to relaunch Kylie Cosmetics with all new formulas that are clean and vegan. Innovation has come far in the past few years. When creating this line, it was so important to me to commit to using clean ingredients across the board, but to never sacrifice performance. My new lip kit has eight hour wear and is so comfortable on the lips and all my new formulas are amazing. I'm excited for everyone to try the new products. Weird enough that that was happening. Five days later, we got an announcement from Kim Kardashian West, Kylie's sister. She wrote that KKW Beauty, her beauty brand, was also going dark in a statement that explained, so that we can come back to you under a completely new brand with new formulas that are more modern, innovative and packaged in an elevated and sustainable new Look, now that's all giving the implication that this is a bit of a glow up, but there seems to be a lot of overlap in not only the timing, but the kind of announcements we're hearing out of both brands. Yeah, it is really odd to me the minute I saw both of these within five days of each other, because as you say, this is not just a rebrand. This is like a, we are completely shutting everything down as you know it and relaunching completely. And that's an expensive thing to do. And if it ain't broke, like why fix it, right? Yeah, well, it almost reminds me of when, you know, Shapes rebranded. They went, we're stopping all of our lines of our pizza and barbecue and whatever shapes and we're coming back with new ingredients and people lost their fucking minds because people are attached to Shapes. It doesn't seem like the KKW or Kylie Cosmetics products have been broken. So why are we trying to fix it? And why are we taking such a huge risk when we know how attached people become to not just the products they buy, but the beauty products they buy? Absolutely. And I think initially when the KKW thing in particular was announced, everyone was like, okay, well, Kim Kardashian must just be dropping the W from her line. But that's basically been debunked with everyone saying, no, Kim Kardashian West is still her legal name. That is still going to be the name name of the company. So what is actually going on here? I think to understand what might be going on, we need to go back about a year, Mish. According to Forbes last year, Seed Beauty, which is this company that manufactures both for KKW Beauty and Kylie Cosmetics. So they create the formulas, they basically create the products. They filed a suit against Coty, which as we know, as Mish said, is the majority owner of Kylie Cosmetics, saying that they wanted to prevent the misappropriation of trade secrets. Now, I know that sounds a little bit dense and a little bit legal jargony, but essentially what Seed Beauty are claiming in this lawsuit from a year ago is that Kylie perhaps 
perhaps <laughs> allegedly reportedly allegedly supposedly has shared uh, IP and shared formulations with Coty maybe in the negotiations of selling the business yeah and this is important because Coty own other really big beauty brands particularly Covergirl and Rimmel and Sally Hansen and if they are getting their hands on product formulas and IP that should really be locked away and quite watertight in how firmly it's protected they can get ahead in the game. They have access to a competitor, Technically's products, and then they can beat it. Interestingly, on June 19 last year, before this suit was even filed, there was another suit also filed against KKW Beauty seeking the protection of its trade secrets as well. Yes. So I don't think, and you don't think, and Annabelle, I'm going to speak for you as well, you don't <laughs> think, this can't just be a glow-up rebrand. Something is going down and there's got to be a pretty bloody good reason that these guys are wiping their slates clean and starting fresh. One of the most costly exercises that a beauty business could go under. Yeah, and if you're still a bit confused, essentially think about it like this. A year ago, KKW Beauty and Kylie Cosmetics were being sued for sharing information that they shouldn't have been sharing, particularly about the formulations of their products. A year later, within five days of each other, they both have to essentially shut down their business, redo all their formulations, redo all their branding and start again. That just doesn't feel like enough of a coincidence for mine. No, and if you want to translate it, I mean, we can only use the figures that are out in the public domain. It's been reported that Kylie Cosmetics in the 2019 to 2020 financial year brought in $200 million in revenue. Translate that to they've gone dark for 14 days. They have not sold a product on this website for 14 days. That is already a loss in revenue of $7,671,000. That's not including the money spent on redoing everything, well, which I thing. think would be even more. It would be huge. It's an incredible branding exercise from both companies and both women to be like, this is so exciting. We're doing all this fun stuff when it's like probably behind the scenes, they're hemorrhaging money. Yes. It is worst case scenario to have to do everything from the ground up again. But what's most interesting is that they both probably will be fine. Yes, They probably. always are. They always manage in these businesses to be able to rebrand really expensively because of mistakes, perhaps, and do really well. But this is what I love about the celebrity industry. Everything can seem one way. And if you even try to scratch beneath the surface, I think the reality is worlds apart from what we're seeing on social media. Coming up after the break, how can Love Island protect the mental health of its reality TV contestants and the runaway princess who hasn't been home for months? But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara McDonald, what have you got for us? My first story. Roxy Jasenko calls her employees imbeciles for dobbing her into New South Wales health repeatedly. That is from Pedestrian and my word, what a story to start us off today. Yeah, a messy one, guys. So the briefest explanation we can give is that Roxy Jasenko's brand, Sweaty Betty, not to be confused with the activewear brand called Sweaty Betty that we have worked with in the past. This is a PR brand, completely unaffiliated. Sweaty Betty has been reported to New South Wales Police and to Safe Work for allegedly having inadequate controls in place to manage COVID-19. Yeah, so specifically it was alleged that Sweaty Betty wasn't allowing workers to work from home and was mandating that they come into the office, which according to the complaint went against the restrictions and advice in place from 
the New South Wales government, as is pretty customary in lockdown. Yeah, if you can work from home, you should work from home. It seems like a sweaty Betty employee has potentially reached out to Safe Work or reached out to the New South Wales police and alleged they should be able to work from home and they're not being allowed to. Yeah, exactly. So Roxy Jusenko jumped on her Instagram account and posted a screenshot of the letter and a video taking her followers through the workplace to show that she had COVID-19 checks and balances in place. On her caption, this is kind of where it gets a bit interesting. She said, I have had enough. Running a small business is hard enough. Due to lockdown, I have an empty office with over 20 working remotely. I am doing the work of at least four by myself. My online team are working in the office on shorter hours as products don't send themselves. I have had two visits from the police and now this letter. Enough now. I wonder if I stopped paying the wages of these imbeciles who are making these reports of me, apparently flouting the rules. They might change their tune. Who calls their own employees imbeciles? Anywhere, anytime, let alone in a public Instagram post to hundreds of thousands of people to see. It's a bit awkward. That hurts my feelings and I don't (laughs) work for her. How would you feel, Annabelle, if Zara and I (laughs) about our employees and referred to you as imbeciles? Well, not good, but I don't think you would have a non-COVID safe workplace anyways. (laughs) But it's it's really interesting because it's like I think if you want the workplace to be cohesive and functioning at a time like this when it is really hard and there is no doubt that it's really, really tough for small business owners, I'm just not sure calling your employees imbeciles is going to create a very harmonious atmosphere at a time when tensions are high. Yeah, but what was interesting was the tone of the comments on this post. I read this and I was like, wow, that is big to go out and call your small workplace. We're not talking about a workplace of hundreds and hundreds of staff. We're talking about a very small, intimate workplace. Yes, a successful one, but one where everyone knows everyone. That is very out there to call people imbeciles. And I was surprised that there wasn't that commentary in the comments very much. One or two comments, yeah. The vast majority were like, I hear it's hard having a small business in a pandemic, which I agree, but like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about (laughs) implying that someone is an imbecile because they've made a complaint against you. Yeah, it's an interesting and odd story. I mean, I don't think we'll be hearing from the employees. I don't think we'll be hearing much more about this at all. But I just I just can't imagine it creating a particularly lovely workplace, to be totally honest. I mean, we all have different management styles. Not personally my management style. Yeah, my <laughs> second story. Love Island is back. But is ITV doing enough to protect contestants' mental health? That is from The Independent. Now, I fought for this to be in today's Quick and Dirty because, Zara, you are not watching this season of Love Island UK, but you and I have discussed it at length on this show because it has been so controversial in the past. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know since 2015 that three people who have appeared on the show have since died by suicide. Contestants Sophia and Mike both died by suicide after appearing on the program. And, of course, we know host Caroline Flack also died in the same way, which did prompt many calls to cancel the program. Yeah, which I might say is a slightly lazy way of going about this. I totally understand that shows have a duty of care to their contestants and it's been good to see that Love Island has changed how they define that duty of care. So since those suicides over the last couple of years, they have announced that they are extending the usual eight therapy sessions that they give to every contestant on the show to 14 months of proactive support. The audition process for this season was also accompanied by assessments from mental health professionals and contestants. GPs. 
There also has been a mental health campaign running at the same time as the show on ITV, which is the channel it airs on in the UK. I say it's slightly lazy to say, oh, let's just cancel Love Island, because I think that feels like a very easy solution to what is actually a very complicated problem. I feel like when we say cancel Love Island, we're saying, oh, well, this show is bad. The show needs to go. And it doesn't cause any self-reflection in the people who are actually trolling online. Important context to this is that, yes, Sophie and Mike died by suicide. They did not die directly after leaving the show. They died years after the show because they were so mercilessly trolled by people online. And I think this is where our conversations about reality TV fall flat because we act like the show's the problem. When I would say the show contributes to the problem and needs to be better and I think those changes are absolutely necessary – The main problem is the dialogue on Twitter and on Instagram where people are vile. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like we have this unique sense of disdain for reality TV stars, I think, and it simply must hark back to this idea that we don't think perhaps they're deserving of fame Mm. or deserving of anything they get in the wake of being on that show and we just do have this real annoyance about them and we also think that they're vapid and so anything we say almost won't hit them. I honestly think that's the assumption that we make and we know time and time again that is simply not true. I do appreciate what Love Island are doing particularly this year. I mean when contestant Chloe was trolled when she entered the villa, they issued the following statement. We want Love Island to be a positive experience for all our cast and their friends and family members. Last night's episode created some strong reactions, but some viewers' posts were wholly unacceptable. We take these matters extremely seriously and will support cast members and their families in reporting such posts. We would once again urge all of our viewers to think before posting and remember that our islanders are people with feelings. Yeah, I think it's also important context to note that I think a lot of viewers would look at that statement and go, Oh, well, those are the people who are sending death threats to Chloe's family. I agree with that to a point. I think death threats are obviously awful, obviously horrific and need to be cracked down upon. I think, though, the more insidious form of trolling is actually the light form of trolling, which is I find her voice annoying. She is so clingy and needy and I don't like her personality. She's my least favourite contestant on the show. It's that gradual build-up of hundreds and thousands of comments about a person that just slowly cut away at their personality. I think it's almost like death by a thousand cuts, right? Yes, yes. It's that paper cut mentality where we are continually going and going and going at these people. And we don't realize that when we make a snarky comment on Twitter, that is one of a thousand that that person will see that month. And that's what erodes away at someone's mental health, not just the death threats that say, go kill yourself. Yeah, that is exactly right. My third story, Gigi Hadid asks paparazzi and press to respect her privacy and not show Kai's face. That is from Elle magazine. Don't know if you guys saw this around on Instagram. I really liked this statement, guys. Well, I fought for the Love Island story and you fought for Gigi Hadid. So talk to us about it. So in case you missed it, last week Gigi Hadid posted a statement on her Instagram stories about her daughter Kai coming to an age where she was starting to actually, when she's going for walks in New York, she's starting to pull the shade of her pram up because she wants to, she's a curious little kid, wants to look around. And Gigi's starting to realise that she can't protect Kai from everything and that paparazzi will start to take photos of Kai's face and that is not at all what she wants. So in an open letter posted on Instagram, she wrote... 
as our baby grows up, we have to realise that we can't protect her from everything the way we wanted to when she was smaller. On our most recent visit to New York, she has started to want her sunshade lifted up and helps herself to it. She doesn't understand why she's covered in the city or what I've tried to protect her from. I write this to say to paparazzi, press and beloved fan accounts, you know we have never intentionally shared our daughter's face on social media. Our wish is that she can choose how to share herself with the world when she comes of age and that she can live as normal of a childhood as possible without worrying about a public image that she has not chosen. Mm, Interesting that this was issued to the paparazzi because I think they're an important cog in this machine. Obviously, they're the ones taking the photos. It's also the media outlets who would pay good money to then have these photos published I think that's where the economy begins and ends right if no one pays for them they don't get published anywhere and then they won't be taken so much yeah exactly I think what she's asking for is just for the face to be blurred Mm. and I don't know if this is really optimistic of me but I would like to think that after a statement like this is issued that people would listen to it maybe not out of the kindness of their own hearts but because it's a terrible branding thing for any news outlet I mean yeah. actually now that I'm thinking about it when has the Daily Mail ever cared about their brand yeah. but do you know what I mean like I just think maybe it would be too much for someone to publish there has to be some kind of law brought into place and I know that every jurisdiction is going to be different yeah. but there's got to be a law brought into place that minors particularly under under the age of 12. I mean, ideal world under the age of 16 or 18, but particularly at such a tender age under 12, cannot be photographed and their photos cannot be sold for profit without their parents' permission. I think when you put it like that, it does sound pretty fucked up, doesn't it? That like a minor, especially someone who's not even turned one yet, face can be sold without their knowledge for mm. profit. I mean, as you said, you're right, Gigi you did write in that statement that the laws do change jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So it's incredibly hard for this to be consistent across the board. What she has said in the past, I mean, in February, she did an interview with Vogue. She spoke a lot about how much she wants her children to be completely their own people and completely raised out of the public eye. She said, I have friends who are public figures and that's how they've gone about it. And I see their kids really blossom in a different way. I think the suggestion is that she was talking about Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds, who have very famously never shown their kids on any form of social or anywhere. They are also raising baby Kai in Pennsylvania rather than in New York. So they're really doing everything they can. And I think it's the least that paparazzi press and fan accounts can do to just listen. I also really respect celebrities who do this. Yes, you chose to be famous. You chose a life in the limelight. But I love when celebrities are self-aware enough to go, my children haven't chosen this. And until they can make that decision, I'm not going to make it for them. My fourth story. Wowie. <laughs> Tristan Thompson threatens Lamar Odom after they both leave flirty comments on Khloe Kardashian's Instagram photo. That is from Cosmopolitan and take it away. <laughs> right. Well, on Instagram we posted this. We described it as like a five-part Instagram play. So part one was that Khloe Kardashian posted a sexy, hot outdoor shower <laughs> moment. So it was an outdoor shower, posing in a bikini, arching her back, hands near her face, looking like a dream. Yeah, she was looking like a dream. So Lamar, who we might remember as Chloe's ex-husband of seven years, they officially divorced in 2016, commented on the photo, hottie, two fire emojis, (laughs) two love heart eyes, a love heart, and the... (laughs) 
explaining emojis on podcast. <laughs> and the emoji with the little hearts around the face. I would say it's blushing with an explosion of love hearts at the cheeks and eyes. Yes, everyone knows what that is. <laughs> so Lamar is single at the moment. Yeah, I didn't know this. I somehow believed that Lamar was married. Lamar is not married. He was engaged to someone until the end of last year, but he is freshly single from what I can find. Right, so now he's commenting on his ex-wife's Instagram photos. <laughs> Tristan also commented on the photo with two love hearts and I would say two drooly emojis. Yeah, the worst <laughs> the worst emoji in the history of emojis. Oh, you don't the like that one. The drool emoji. I don't mind I don't like the tongue emoji. No, I love that. I love the tongue, ironically. The drool emoji <laughs> is kind of lame unless used in really inappropriate contexts. Or like, about food. I like it when it's with food. <laughs> <laughs> Same Annabelle. We'll use it. I mean, sure. Anyway. Or so, under a photo of Steve Carell. Yeah. This, this wasn't under Steve Carell, nor was it about food. It was about <laughs> Khloe Kardashian. Do you think he commented this before he realised that Lamar had commented? Yes. I think what happened is Tristan got to the photo, left his little comment, went for a little scrolly scroll checked out who else had commented on the photo and then stumbled upon the name Lamar Odom. Yeah, so then he wrote and tagged Lamar in his next comment, God brought you back the first time, play if you want different results, which I've got to say is a pretty it comment if the inference is that Lamar nearly died quite a few years ago. Yes. That he was brought back to life and then if he plays the game again, he might die. Tristan's going to kill him yeah. for commenting on Chloe's photo when apparently Tristan and Chloe aren't even together anymore. It's kind of possessive, but are we surprised Tristan Thompson is not the most stand-up guy, is he? I think it would have been funny if he tagged something else a bit tongue-in-cheek, but God brought you back the first time feels a bit on the nose. A bit on the nose. Now, before we move on, we actually need to cover a development in this story that happened over the break. Chloe and Tristan are officially over. They are apparently not together anymore. According to a TMZ report from June 21st, they encountered relationship problems after that Sydney Chase podcast interview. We talked about it. We said we thought it possibly had legs. That is potentially accurate given TMZ reported on the 21st that they were no longer together because of the fracture that that interview caused. Yeah, so now it's a bit weird that Tristan is being... A possessive partner on Instagram, mm. given the reports are that they're not together. But as we know, those two have the most tumultuous relationship ever. Like, what's to say they're not back together? Interestingly, Tristan's comment got 45,000 likes. Lamar's got nearly 140,000 likes. <laughs> Ooh, people are team Lamar. I mean, I do think one thing that we haven't acknowledged in this entire conversation is how fucking weird it would be to have your ex-partner comment on your photo with, like, fire emojis <laughs> and love hearts. Like, it is a bit much. Surely she's sitting back going, wow, I really need to drop these two dickheads. Like, they both cheated on her. They both treated her terribly. I understand the rhetoric of, Lamar is a slightly better person than Tristan Thompson because what he cheated on her once or twice instead of like a million kajillion times. However, surely there is someone out there, a wholesome, nice man who is loyal and will not cheat on Chloe with a bunch of women at parties like these two dickheads did. Yeah, I don't think I want Chloe to end up with either of them. I do have to say we got a lot of requests by people after we uploaded this on Instagram to do a Chloe Lamar Tristan scandal series. So... <laughs> I'll think about it. What a hot mess. I'm personally all for it, but I'm all for every Kardashian headline. And my fifth story, influencer Ruby Tuesday Matthews is in a tiff with Lawrence Mooney over COVID restrictions. That is from Pedestrian TV. Now, how these two have both found themselves 
back in the headlines together is beyond me, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. So a bit of context. Lawrence Mooney is a 56-year-old Australian comedian and radio presenter. He is probably best known at the moment for hosting one of the country's highest rating radio shows. He hosts Sydney's Triple M Breakfast. Yes, big gig. Yeah, pretty big gig, absolutely. Ruby Tuesday Matthews, as we know, is a Byron Bay influencer. She has almost 230,000 followers. She is known for her taste in clothes. Being a mum to two boys. Absolutely. You might remember, though, last year in October... Ruby Tuesday Matthews was the subject of criticism and perhaps a few giggles because she held up a Jetstar flight because she was eating oysters. Unwittingly. She didn't know she was holding up the flight, which is an important piece of context. She accidentally held up a flight. It was known as Oystergate and in case you forgot, she was meant to be getting on a plane from Ballina to Sydney. The plane was held up because of a problem that an engineer needed to fix. Love it when that happens just before you're due to board. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But, you know, you'd always prefer a safe plane. And the engineer came on and said it'll be a two and a half hour wait. She jumped in a car, went to Byron out for dinner, was uploading photos, eating oysters, and then the plane was ready and she (laughs) held it up and walked onto the plane to the heckles of other people who were flying. Well, people saw her Instagram stories out at an oyster restaurant because she is famous. And then when she got back on with like, how are the oysters? (laughs) The only thing that would have been better would be like if she was eating caviar or something. (laughs) Anyway, so the reason that Lawrence Mooney entered this narrative at the time is because he ripped into her on radio saying she should go shuck herself. He also said that influencers like her prostitute themselves for free products. He called influencers low-hanging fruit and his producer, I think it was a producer in this video, called Ruby Tuesday Matthews an absolute cloth-eared bint. So sorry for being stupid. What the fuck does that mean? I actually wasn't sure either because I watched this footage again in prep for this segment and I was like cloth-eared bint. Like I had to watch it quite a few times to make sure I was getting the right kind of phrase. A bint I was looking up on Urban Dictionary is like this really apparently derogatory term for a woman, which is like bitch or something. Oh, I've never received that one. Yeah, no, nor have I. And then clothier, I imagine, is just a bit like... Is clothier a bit ableist? I'm looking at it. Unable yes. to hear or understand yes. clearly. So it might imply, I don't know, like an intellectual disability exactly. or something of the kind. So it's not just ableist, it's incredibly derogatory as well. It's it's like, it feels like an awful thing to say. And, and what I found interesting in all of the reporting about the Lawrence Mooney, Ruby Tuesday Matthews story back at the end of last year is no one had even quoted this. It was when I was watching it back being like, fuck, that is an awful thing to say on national radio about Horrible. someone. Yep. Anyway, so Ruby Tuesday Matthews came out slammed Lawrence Mooney at the time and said, to say that I prostitute myself out for products is a lie. I get paid. Also, it's just a disgusting comment to make. Now, Lawrence Mooney is in the mood. Lawrence Mooney is in the... <laughs> now. <laughs> are we going to leave that in? Please, I'm, we're leaving that in. It's my and yes, no, we are. It's, it's hard to say Mooney and the news without saying moves. <laughs> Now, Lawrence Mooney is back in the news because he broke COVID restrictions to take a Byron Bay holiday, Michelle. He did. So Lawrence Mooney works in Sydney, obviously had to abide by Sydney lockdown rules. However, people saw him out and about in Byron Bay on a two-week holiday. I love the 360 nature of this story that we've had Byron Bay come back into this almost a year later. Yeah, exactly. So Lawrence Mooney was in Byron Bay when he wasn't meant to be and... 
Daily Telegraph wrote a story about it. He had to give a statement saying, I know how serious this is and the impact lockdowns are having across the state and I'm very embarrassed by my misunderstanding and stuff up. I feel like an absolute goose for not realising I wasn't permitted to travel to Byron Bay during my break. An absolute goose. So he said he's an absolute goose. He didn't realise he worked in the CBD but didn't live in any of the hotspots. So that's why he wasn't allowed to. Now it's super awkward (laughs) because fellow radio host Ben Fordham found audio of Lawrence Mooney on his own fucking radio show (laughs) reading out the rules. Of COVID restrictions. So anyone that worked in the Sydney CBD is in lockdown too. You can't make this shit up. Someone saying, I didn't know. And then someone else being like, here's you saying it out loud, educating your listeners about it. Ruby Tuesday Matthews obviously took this opportunity (laughs) to write on Instagram. Wow. From the guy who called me a number of horrible names and made me out to be entitled on national radio, even when your end of the story is false. Glad to see you are above society and its rules. I got to say... Power to Ruby Tuesday Matthews in this scenario. Can you imagine if Lawrence Mooney was a female influencer in this case and how much we would deride her and how much we would consider her stupid and embarrassing and Lawrence Mooney can try and get away with it by saying, I'm a goose. I'm a goose. Oopsie, I'm a goose. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. It's the quiet European story that's starting to make big waves overseas. Charlene, the Princess of Monaco, has been missing from her palace for most of 2021, with little known about when she's coming home to her prince and her children. It's a headline that comes with 10 years of sticky rumours and whispers, from secret love children to a tear-filled wedding ceremony and a haircut that's emblematic of a royal rebellion. Zara, most notably, it includes a princess missing her own celebration of her 10-year wedding anniversary. This is the story that has celebrity and royal experts right across the globe scratching their heads. So where do you want to begin? Well, let's introduce the key players, shall we? Because I have been obsessed with this story for a long time, but particularly over my break, this was the one story I couldn't get enough of. So let's introduce Prince Albert of Monaco. He is the 63-year-old son of Grace Kelly, the very famous Grace Kelly. His wife, Princess Charlene, is 20 years his junior. She is 43. She was born Born in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, before moving to South Africa, she was actually a very impressive and competitive swimmer in her time. She made up part of the South African women's medley team that came fifth in the 2000 Olympics, if you don't mind. Also won a silver medal in the Commonwealth Games one year as well. So she was epic and extremely talented at swimming. I also feel like it's important context. Maybe you guys disagree with me. It's important context that she looks like a gorgeous movie star, like old Hollywood film star. Vanity Fair once referred to her as, and I quote, a cross between Charlize Theron and Naomi Watts. Not bad by them. I can say that. <laughs> I absolutely say that, particularly Naomi Watts. Now, I also think it's important context that because there is a 20-year age gap, these two look quite mismatched. You look at her with him and you don't think, oh, perfect couple, perfectly on the same level. Uh, I wonder if it's that or if it's because when many people watch them together, a lot of people argue that they don't see much chemistry. I mean, and who knows? You could get any couple that really love each other who aren't just very good on a public stage. But speculation about their relationship has been rife for years, for two decades almost, to be totally honest with you. But it's hitting fever pitch in the last few weeks because Charlene was meant to be in Monaco for their 10-year wedding anniversary and wasn't there. So Monaco, as we know, a tiny little country, 
tiniest in the world, I'm pretty sure. Apparently it's smaller than Central Park in New York City. It's tiny. It's teeny tiny. It's absolutely tiny. A lot of money in there too. And the thing about this anniversary is I think it was meant to be a big public celebration and she didn't make it back from South Africa. So suddenly all this speculation was rife being like, okay, well, why isn't she making it back? Her kids are in Monaco. What is she doing in South Africa? And why is she not making an effort? The royal family have had to come out and say, no, 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 she's had a really serious ear, nose and throat infection. She's had one surgery. She's now having another surgery and she's devastated to miss it. People might be listening to this, Mish, and think, okay, why is this news? Why does it matter that a couple, a royal couple, are separated by oceans in the middle of a pandemic when a lot of people are separated from Mm. each other and borders are hard? It's important because, to be honest, these two have had the most bizarre relationship of the last 10 to 15 years of anyone I've read. Yeah. And, I mean, we're not talking about a normal royal couple. And when I say normal royal couple, I don't know who it is. Yeah, who? Under that umbrella. No one's standing under that umbrella. But as far as unusual royal couples go, I would put this down one end as being the most unusual I've heard of. Why we are now seeing this reach fever pitch, Zara, is because reportedly – there is a potential love child that was conceived while these two were dating in the mid-2000s. Yes, but before we get to the rumours of this love child, we need to go back to when they first met. I think we need to go all the way back to 2000 because in 2000, this is reportedly when Charlene and Albert met, they didn't become public or a public couple until 2006. So six years they had something, God knows what it was, before going public. She was 22 when they met. He was 42. Now, the timing that they went public is really interesting to me. In 2005, Albert's dad died, which meant that Albert was therefore the ruler of Monaco. But a week before that, he had been forced to admit that in his time, he had fathered what they called like an illegitimate son, Alexander, with a flight attendant whom he'd met on a jet. Yeah. So obviously what's happened is suddenly he's going to become the ruler of Monaco and that's when all the dirty laundry starts to come to the front. At the same time, a former waitress came out and said, actually, yeah, I've got a love child with him too. (laughs) He had denied it this entire time. That love child was born in 1992. It wasn't until a DNA test in 2006 confirmed him to be the father that he finally accepted that he didn't just have Alexander, he also had Jasmine. Suddenly he had two kids. Yeah, the ruler of Monaco and he's got two illegitimate children. Yeah, and neither of them could be heirs to the throne because they weren't seen as, quote-unquote, legitimate children. Legit kids. (laughs) This was just as he was ascending the throne. Suddenly Charlene comes to the fore as his partner when all of this is essentially breaking out. Yeah, potentially as like a PR distraction, right? Well, that's what I kept thinking. Wild child in my past, but now, look, I've got this gorgeous, beautiful, very royal princess kind of vibe girlfriend. Yes, and I'm the ruler of Monaco, and I think, as we know with royal families, they are so obsessed with optics. It's weird for a ruler to not have a partner like they would want it to be a duo so suddenly Charlene comes out fast forward to 2011 these two are together they're engaged to be married and the wedding is going to cost a reported 75 million dollars I mean for all we talk about Monaco being this postage stamp of a country Albert has more than one billion dollars to his name so tiny tiny country huge huge wealth lots of money in this country lots of money with Albert at the time days before the wedding reports went absolutely nuts that Princess Charlene was trying to run away that she was a runaway bride and the reports were saying that she was running away because of a rumoured third love child 
third love child during the years that they were dating, as we said. So we had three attempts at running away, reportedly. The first was when she sought refuge in the South African embassy in the May of 2011. She was in France for a bridal gown fitting and tried to escape to the South African embassy. That did not work. Her second attempt to escape took place at Monaco's Grand Prix, which I feel like, I mean, we're all Formula One fans now. I feel like Wait, Annabelle, I'm not. (laughs) We're Formula One fans. She tried to escape. That didn't work either. Her best yet still failed attempt to flee then came when she was intercepted at the Nice airport, Zara. Yeah, so... I mean, as we said, these are still all reports, but, uh, and this was according to French Weekly L'Express, which is pretty good French accent by me, (laughs) (laughs) that she was intercepted at Nice Airport after learning, and the quote was from the Daily Beast, learning something troubling about Prince Albert, was stripped of her passport and persuaded to return to Monaco. Now, these theories or reports or rumours have never been confirmed, and Monaco, as this tiny, tiny country, has a reputation for being very gossipy. I mean, it was Prince Albert's dad who once said gossip was invented in Monaco. So this is an important backdrop, (laughs) even though part of me is like pretty random gossip to make its way out in the world if it's not true. Well, it's like classic smoke where there's fire. Like we often see like your classic cheating rumours, that type of stuff, but tried to flee three times, had her passport stripped off her is pretty niche gossip. Well, I think perhaps it wouldn't have gained as many legs if she didn't cry through her wedding ceremony. We'll put this link actually in our show notes. The footage of her on YouTube from the wedding is really hard to watch. She looks devastated. She does. She looks really downcast. The Guardian quoted at the time that Charlene emerged from the Royal Chapel where she laid her bouquet with her top lip wobbling and a tear rolling down her cheek. While she dabbed the tears with a hanky, Prince Albert begged in a whisper, don't cry, don't cry. They were literally standing there about to say their vows to each other while they were getting married and she was crying and trying to stop herself crying. And I'm not saying crying in a moved, never been more in love in my life way crying in a I am in despair way. yes I don't think that's too far of a stretch at all I mean Lainey Gossip one of the better celebrity blogs I would say said that they went off on honeymoon to South Africa where they weren't even in separate beds or separate rooms they were in apparently separate hotels altogether I mean Lainey Gossip titled her piece The Prisoner Right. Mm. Despite all that, they did go on to have twins together. Those twins are now six-year-old Jacques and Gabriella. But fast forward to the end of last year and things are looking very messy once again. Yes. And why do they look messy once again? Because reports emerge once more that a Brazilian woman had launched a paternity suit against Albert, claiming he fathered another Love child. Mm, This time a 15-year-old girl by this point. So this is where we catch ourselves up to speed today, right? And this is why the Princess Charlene story won't stop circulating around the world because it was in January after all these reports that she stepped down in public with this incredible new haircut. She basically shaved half her head and had this like very edgy short haircut on the other side of her head. And for any random person it's like a pretty standard haircut but for a royal I've never seen anything like it I mean I don't know if it's a standard haircut for an average person this is out there like this would be one of the more unique haircuts yeah, that's that I would fair. see this is not a type of haircut you see on just anyone walking down the street this is quite punkish rock star it's <laughs> super rock star it's, if you saw a musician come out with it you'd be like oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay cool but this is not like your average librarian haircut let's put it that way no and so with that in mind to see a royal with half 
half a shaved head and a royal female too. You know, our standards for what beauty is for a royal is just so incredibly long. Vanilla. Super vanilla. And if you want to believe tabloids like Page Six, People argued that it was like the day that these rumours were published that she just went, fucking, I'm getting this haircut. Yeah, she did tell French magazine Point of View, the haircut was my decision. It seems it has provoked all kinds of comments, but it turns out that I wanted it for a long time. The style pleases me. That's all. But I do think there's something really symbolic to this haircut. I think so. Like, I think we are so used to seeing women in the royal ranks have that wavy, thick, glossy hair look. For someone to come out and go, I'm shaving half of my head, I am not subscribing to that royal aesthetic, to me says, I'm having every inch of my life controlled and the one area I can carve control out literally is the space on my own head. I 1000% agree with you. It feels incredibly symbolic. And whether or not it was a direct result of these rumours coming out once again six months ago or not, there does seem to be something about Princess Charlene wanting to be her own person. I mean, she's also been the subject of heaps of criticism in Monaco. When she married Prince Albert, people were demanding that she changed her name to Charlotte because Charlene didn't feel royal enough. Mm. Like the, the stripping of identity that's happened with her has been quite insane. And so now we get to July and she hasn't been photographed in Monaco for six months. There are reports, I think the royal family argue that she went back in May, but she hasn't been seen or photographed in Monaco since January. She hasn't really been near her kids or her husband. And then she missed that 10 year anniversary. And suddenly everyone's like, What's going on? Is this finally starting to fall apart? Is there another love child in the mix that still hasn't been made public? Yeah. Again, smoke and mirrors, God knows what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, it's like any royal we see, like you have no access to any part of them. All you have access to is statements and basically that haircut. Like that's kind of all you've got. So I don't think it's ridiculous for the press to want to kind of create some sort of meaning in that haircut because it's like, what are you trying to tell us? Mm. With all of this in mind, with all that we can see that reportedly you tried to flee, you definitely did cry at the wedding and we have had persistent rumours over the course of 10 to 15 years about many different love children. Like what kind of marriage is that and what kind of life is that? And also she's away from her children. Like yeah. she's away from these twins. And I'm really curious, if you're in South Africa for medical treatment, surely there is somewhere next to Monaco or directly linked to Monaco where you can go and get that medical treatment. It's apparently an ear, nose and throat problem. You're not battling something incredibly rare and difficult that you need a specific doctor for. I mean, I'm projecting from what I know about your nose and throat. But this is certainly what they're suggesting too in their statements is that it's not life-threatening. They just, it's against medical advice to fly apparently. Yeah. All I would say is it's got to be pretty bloody bad to keep you from your children. And it does remind me, I mean, I hate to come full circle in the episode. It reminds me a little bit of Britney Spears. It feels like this woman is a prisoner in her own life. It feels eerily like Britney. Yeah. We will keep you guys updated if there are any new sort of facts that come to the fore about this story because I am really, really interested about what's going to happen in the next few months when she gets back to Monaco. But you can absolutely imagine the royal family in Monaco would be scrambling right now with this story circulating. Well, the princess has been gone for months. Yes. When, and you can't say ear, nose and throat forever. It's no. going to get to the point, I mean, it's getting to the point now where people are like, I don't buy it. So they're going to have to come up with a new excuse quick or they're going to have to get her back in that country pronto. Hey, that is all we've got time for, for our first Thursday episode back. We did have an episode back on Monday, but it is so wonderful to be back here. Thank you so much, guys. The number one way to support Shameless is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe or click follow on Spotify. 
Annabelle Lee, anything else to add? Um, we will catch you on social media oh. <laughs> and next week. New year, new you or new half of the year. Yeah, new half of the year. We're on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. And if you want to join our book club, we're on Facebook at Shameless Book Club. We'll be back in your ears next week, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.